Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. All right, let's pray, and we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 4 and pick up at verse 8. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have called us into your house this morning. We are thankful that we can gather with our brothers and sisters whom we love and worship you together. Father, we pray that you would um, guide us, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds. Illumine this word to us that it may be profitable for our lives, for our witness, uh, for our faith, for our growth in you and our knowledge of you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's begin reading from verse 1, and we'll go through verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days, and months, and seasons, and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so last time we went through 1 through 7, and we talked a little bit about the elemental principles of the world that the Apostle Paul mentions here. Anybody want to take a stab at what Paul is referring to in speaking of the elemental principles of the world? Good, good start. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. I mean, I, I don't think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. I think that the creation testifies of God's existence, and there is that general revelation. I think that's what you're pointing at. But I don't, I'm not sure that's how the Apostle Paul is using elemental principles of the world here. He's really, he's really going at them strongly and, and saying that... that um, it was a slavery that they were existing under, that they needed to be set free from, right? We don't need to be set free from general revelation. It's a good thing. The elemental principles of the world are bad. It's slavery. And so, what again, what would we say? Let's take another stab at it. Anybody else? Yeah, let me tweak that just a little bit. Anything that we pursue outside of Christ to make ourselves right with God, right? Everything outside of faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is the one way to be justified before God. And the elemental principles of the world is, you know, the worship of trees and sacrificing a virgin on top of a high mountain and pulling her heart out of her chest and sacrificing the heart, right? Or it's observing the Mosaic law as a means of salvation, right? The law was never intended to be um, kept for that purpose, for the purpose of justification. And so... I think it's sweeping together, and it would be so offensive to the Jews to hear something like that. Are you telling me that my keeping of the Mosaic law is equivalent to the worship of trees? And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Worthless elemental things of the world. The elemental things of the world draw, suck us in and say, do what we tell you to do, and you will be saved. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um baptize your children. Exactly. I mean, exactly. So many of the good things we are commanded to do are not to be pursued as the means of justification. Okay? Or as standing before God. And some people, by what they ingest in their body, 
are making a proclamation of their righteousness before God. And it's just, it's so ridiculous when we do that, but all of us are tempted to do that. And the devil tempts us to abandon faith, which is sort of intangible, and go to those things you can, you know, see and touch and taste. And then we say, okay, righteousness is do not touch, do not taste. And um, those things are only the appearance of righteousness, okay? Righteousness comes by means of faith. That's what the Apostle Paul has been arguing from the start of this book. He will argue that to the end of this book. The whole thing is about justification. And the reason is there were Judaizers coming into the Galatian church and they were saying, just add these few things to your faith. I mean, the Mosaic law can't be bad. God gave it. Right? It can't be bad. God gave it. So just believe in Jesus, but then you have to be circumcised. You have to change your diet. You have to observe the Passover. Right? And that's what we get into today. So that's the elemental principles of the world. Um, whether Jewish law-keeping or Gentile superstition, both are elemental principles of the world. They are not the way of salvation, but rather slavery, bondage. They are a way of death. They will trap you. And leads you to hell. After having heard of salvation by faith, Christ being publicly crucified before them. Remember, that's what the Apostle Paul said. My preaching was in such power that it was as if the, you know, Christ had been publicly crucified before you. They are now in danger, the, the Christians of this region, in, uh, which is in modern Turkey, right? They are in danger of falling back to the bondage from which they had already been delivered. Right? They're in danger of regressing, going back to what they had, even as they think they're making progress and moving forward. Right? That's what the Judaizers are convincing them. They're like, yeah, you've got faith, but, but don't abandon the Old Testament. Right? You can hear him saying this. Don't abandon Moses. I mean, God spoke these words from the hill. And getting them confused about the difference between justification and sanctification, the means of salvation and the means of pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness, right? And so you can hear him saying that. But then verse 8 comes along. However, at that time, what time? When you did not know God. Now, who, the Galatians are Gentiles, right? The Galatians are Gentiles. The Judaizers are perhaps Gentiles, but likely Jews, right? Who are coming along and confusing things. And so, back when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things which by nature are no gods. Slaves to what? What things are by nature no gods? Anything 
anything God has created. Anything outside of God, right, which is his creation. Ideas. It, could, it doesn't have to be physical things. It could be mental things. It could be ideas. It could be um, thoughts. It could be uh, affections. Right? And so, um, so those things are by nature no gods, and you are slaves to them. And in coming to know God, you are set free from that slavery and enslaved to God, which is really freedom. Right? And so they've left that behind. Um, the Apostle Paul elsewhere says of the Gentiles, like Ephesians 2, they were without God in the world. And Ephesians 4, they were excluded. Gentiles were excluded from the life of God. Not knowing God, they were excluded from the life of God. They did not know God, without God in the world. And they were slaves to what is no God. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Right? So those, those idols that they served, so-called gods, are no gods at all. Right? They are false gods. They are anti-gods. They, they don't have power. They're, they're, they're nothing. They're powerless, and to serve them is to serve uh, an anti-God. Um, and so what are, they're called, these so-called gods are not gods. Um, and then 1 Corinthians ten nineteen he says, what do I mean then, that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Right? And I do not want you to become sharers in demons, he says to the Corinthian church. And so these not-gods may have power, but it's the power of the evil one. It's the power of demons, right? In serving anything other than the God of heaven, you are serving demons. Right? But we have these categories in our head. It's like we, we have Christian, we have this wide swath of people who are just in sort of a no man's land and then we have this little sliver of of people in bondage to demons right and yet that's not that's not what paul says paul says there's christians and then there are those who serve demons and it covers everybody else okay now serving demons doesn't look like you know, what's that rapper's name? Little Nas X. You know, that little punk fool, right? Who, who makes a joke of, of being evil and worshiping Satan. 
Um, it doesn't look like uh, pagan rituals and blood sacrifices. Often it just looks like serving as a professor at Wofford. Present company excluded. <laughs> it's not a personal attack. <laughs> it's just, it, I saw you and it popped into my mind. Sorry, I could use anybody else in here. Um, professor at... <laughs> but that, look, that's, that's important for us to get our heads wrapped around, okay? That the prince of the power of the air is who you serve if you've not been rescued in Jesus Christ. Right? You are actually in bondage to the evil one. And you need to be set free by faith in Christ to serve the one true living God. Okay? It's, it's demons that you serve if you're not serving God. And demons, demons are sophisticated. They will, they will point you to things that, like works that are easy to keep, that make you feel righteous. They'll, they will like keep you on that path. All you have to do is, is this, this, and this. You're good. So it's demons. These serving, not serving God means to serve demons. That's the first thing. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. And then verse 9 takes a whack at the religion of the Judaizers. So that if verse 8 applies to the Gentiles, then verse 9 is the Judaizers. But now that you have come to know God, okay, you Galatians, you were pagans, you were set free, you worshipped God, you came to know God, or rather to be known by God. Interesting that he backs up and rephrases it. Right, the Apostle Paul is contemplating um, salvation and its origin. And what he does is, you know, he attributes it to you've come to know God as if you've, you've finished your quest. But then he's like, no, no, no. No. Um, that's not, not exactly what's going on here. Rather, you've come to be known by God. And that means that God has the initiative in the knowledge of him, not man. The initiative does not come from fulfilling a quest and arriving at the destination. The only way you come to know God is if God starts the process, if God initiates, if God illumines, if the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells. Right? It's not the end of the road, it's the beginning of the road, right? Where you come to be known by God. Okay? And so, um, but now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? So what do we learn about the elemental things of the world? They're weak and they're worthless. They're weak and worthless. All those things that we might pursue outside of Christ, not only is it to serve demons, but they're weak and worthless and unable to lead you to God. 
So they were enslaved to demons, they came to know God, and rather God came to, you know, know them. And now they're returning after having come to know God to demons. I mean, think about receiving this from the Apostle Paul. And think about being in that congregation. And, thinking, and think about the fact that these Judaizers are coming in as guest preachers. And they're really impressive. And everything they seem to say is like biblical to the core. It's like, yes, we, this Apostle Paul seems to have thrown off the whole Old Testament. But, but guys, we're gonna, we're, we're, we preach the whole counsel of God. That's what they'd be saying. That's what the Judaizers would say. We preach the whole counsel of God. And then they would take you and just wrap the cord of the law around your neck and choke you to death with it. Because they're misapplying it. Right? They're misapplying it. They're not pointing to Jesus Christ as the one way of salvation by means of faith, right? Those elemental things are weak and worthless, strong words that he uses. I mean, so the Apostle Paul needs to get a little bit nasty in this letter, doesn't he? He's not happy with these guys who are making these young Christians make shipwreck of their faith, and he's got to get nasty, He's got to go after them. He's going to be begging them. He's going to be telling these Judaizers to mutilate themselves. You know? He's not messing around. He's so, he's so worked up over this as he ought to be. Which, as an aside, um, something I was thinking about this week, and just seeing the, the Apostle Paul's example here, um, and I, I think of this more as something that, because of the cultural context we live in, something I need to say to men more than I need to say to women. Women are exhorted in Scripture to have a gentle and quiet spirit, okay? We're all embarrassed and uncomfortable by that, but it's the Word of God. Um, men in this culture need to be exhorted to be zealous and speak and fight as if something were at stake. But it's like all of us men are just don't, we, we don't think anything's at stake. And so we, we're always guarded in what we say. And, and the, the simple thought was this, and I was running back over the course of my life and my ministry and thinking, I wish I had said this in that situation, but I, I just did not have the faith or the courage to say it. I didn't have the faith here, I didn't have the faith here, but men, we need to speak. We need to speak. We need to speak into the lives of our children, we need to speak into the lives of our families, we need to speak in the lives of anybody we see who are running down the path to make shipwreck of their faith, right? He was warned to, uh, one from his sin has saved his soul. And so um, I don't want, you know, I, I don't want, 
I don't want at the end of my life to say, I, I don't know how to put it to make you get into my head. Um, I don't want to go through my wife saying, life saying I was, um, I pulled my punches in every situation I was in. You know, I don't want at the end of my life to say I was respectable, but I was never zealous. Where I, I, ne I, 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 was, I, was, I was peaceable, but faithless. You know, when, um, and so that's the Apostle Paul in this whole book. He's like, I have to go after these, these Judaizers. I cannot be silent, right? I can't. And then the Corinthians, and then the Thessalonians, and then, I mean, on and on and on the Apostle goes. And then before governors and kings, and um, he speaks and he speaks and he speaks, right? And so... I don't want to be the guy who doesn't say what needs to be said. For fear of being perceived as a jerk. Or as heartless. When in fact it actually demonstrates the opposite. When you speak into a situation, it shows that you're not heartless. That you care. Yeah, yeah, we can be jerks. Yeah, we can be we can pummel people with words. I totally get that. But that's not the major problem for us men. The major problem is that we refuse to speak into situations. Here's the Apostle Paul's example. Okay? Um, all right, so where was I? Verse 9. But now that we have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You hear his aggression in that? It's weak and worthless what you're going after, even though they've told you it's the whole counsel of God. Weak and worthless. He's not mincing words. He's being very clear. He's going to speak into the situation. He's going to speak clearly. And half of those Galatians may indeed have turned on the Apostle Paul. But half of them, maybe he saved from the clutches of these wicked men who came into the church and ravaged the sheep. And so he speaks, and, um, and says, you're going back to slavery. I think in the church, in a culture of entertainment, we get bored with, with Christianity and Christ. We get bored with the Word of God because it's long form. You know, it's not 30 seconds. It's not fun. It's not a little shot of adrenaline or whatever. We get bored with it, and so in getting bored with Christ, we're like, well, maybe the weak and worthless elemental things of the world, for the time being, will, will be more satisfying. And so we get sucked 
out of the church simply because we're bored with Christ. I think that's why more people make shipwreck of their faith than anything else. They just make it, they just like aren't entertained with the church anymore. But the church was never meant to entertain. You know? But everything is in the category of entertainment today. Look at the church. Look at the state of the church. The church has followed the world and has made everything about entertainment. You know, and so um, we place, I mean, politics is entertainment. I mean, what isn't entertainment? Maybe like, like cleaning sewers. It's not entertainment. But there's some guy probably cleaning sewers who's TikToking it. And he's probably got, he's making tons of money off of it. So yeah, even that would fit into the category of entertainment. I mean, just, everything's entertainment. We're, we're so, you know, there is, no, there is nothing left that's holy. Nothing left that is holy. And, and, and just think about this. Think about the Judaizers coming in and, and the Gentiles were freed from slavery, found grace in Christ, and then are tempted to go back to slavery. We do the same thing. We're freed from the bondage of all of our godless entertainment. We find Christ in seriousness of life. And then about two years in, we're like, hmm, maybe, maybe the garlic and leeks in Egypt are worth living for. I just want to eat. I don't want to wander around in the wilderness following this bright light in the sky. I mean, come on. At least we didn't have to eat manna. At least we could, we could have meat. And then we get this letter to the church in Ephesus that Jesus wrote to them. And he says... I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have left your first love. And it's just like, whoa. That, that statement there. You've done all these things well. You've persevered. You've You've opposed what's evil. You've done such good works, but you've left your first love. It's just like, whoa. Just that, that turn right there is so dramatic. And then what does Jesus say? Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else... Coming to you, and we'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And so, look, I, I, we don't face Judaizers coming in per se, but we face returning to slavery returning to a different type of slavery. The demons who stirred up the Judaizers are the demons who stir up our culture and drag us back into the muck and mire. 
they're just, they have the one playbook. They just play it in every era of the church. Every era of the church, okay? <clears throat> Perhaps the Galatian Christians thought that taking up the ceremonial law was Christianity 201. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going up a level. And the Apostle Paul slams the door on that. He says, no, it's weak, it's worthless, it's the worship of demons, it is slavery, it's exactly not what it is. It's not making progress, it's falling back. It's to go back to paganism, it's going back to appeasing God by works, by obeisance, by anything but faith in his son who died on the cross. And so justification through any means other than faith is a return to paganism and weak, worthless, elemental principles. Will you really, will you really give up salvation in Christ so you can get a, a fix of the world? Well, what's weak about the law then, right? If I'm bashing the law here, and remember what, what Luther said, I shared with you last time, we need to castigate the law when it comes to justification. We need to throw like dirt at it when it comes to justification. What was weak about the law? What does the law do? What does it not do? Somebody answer. The law is meant to condemn us. It's meant to, to uh, increase sin, right? It reveals sin. It shows us how far we's, we've fallen short. And what, what does it not do? It doesn't change our heart. That's precisely right. That's precisely right. It does not bring with it forgiveness. It does not bring with it the power to to believe that your past sins are forgiven or the power to resist temptations in the future. The law does not do that. The Spirit does that. The Spirit dwelling in the heart does that, but the law doesn't. It just says, you're terrible. You're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible. There's utility in that. That's good. We want the law to do that. We want the law to do that because then, then we say, well, God... There's nothing I can do. And so um, the law's basic and inherent weakness always was and is that it can diagnose the disease, but it cannot produce a cure. Okay? So do not return to slavery. You are an adopted child of God by God's initiative, right? And again, this is a temptation for us. Um, Israel in Egypt. Israel in the wilderness, right? Israel wanting to go back to Egypt. Your heart wants to go back to Egypt. It does. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink 
for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. It is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands... Take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Free from, flee from serving those no-gods which are actually demons. Now, why is this a temptation for us? Because we like plug-and-play situations. We like input-output situations. We like this-goes-in-this-comes-out situations, don't we? That's what we want with jobs. That's what we want with the discipline of our children, right? We just input this and boop, out pops a perfectly obedient child, right? So we write books about systems and schedule feeding, and, you know, schedule spanking. We like plug and play situations. But Colossians comes in and says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of No value against fleshly indulgence. No value. Zip. Nothing. They do nothing for you. And so we like to think that if we cut refined sugar, we're better than other people. (laughs) Why would you treat the temple of the Holy Spirit like that by eating refined sugar? We like to think that if we cut that refined sugar, we're healthier, we're wiser, we're better, we are more righteous than other people. Not so. We want rules for every situation so we don't have to exercise our wisdom, our discernment, and our faith. Right? Rules appeal to those who don't want to exercise their faith. Plug and play. Input, output, this than that, quid pro quo. Right? That's what we want. 
Like if I wake up at 6 and I refrain from caffeine, I'm righteous. If I lift weights, if I take mushrooms, just microdoses, right? If I follow Joe Rogan's advice on nutrients, well, then I'm making progress. I'm being productive. It's the doctrine of demons. It's not faith. It's not faith in Christ. It's not repentance. It's not grieving your sins. It's not growing in righteousness at all. And then in comes the Apostle Paul, and he's like, we want, you know, I'm saying, we want rules for every situation. And then he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And he's like, worthless, weak. Okay? Jewish holy days is what he's talking about. He's talking about Jewish holy days. He's talking about the Jewish holy days that were commanded by God for the people of God. And that's what he's talking about here. But they, they like this. They're like, okay, it's, this is the fullness of Scripture, and, and we've got to do this, and, and let's add it to our faith. You know, months, new moon observances, go to Numbers 28, seasons, the feasts of tabernacles and Passover, right? Um, the Sabbath year, the year of Jubilee, all of these things. They're like, okay, if we put these into... Pr- place, we'll, we'll be good Christians. And Paul's like, no! No. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Those will not make you right with God. No, never. They're meaningless. They're meaningless. And even keeping the Sabbath is meaningless in the same sense. You're not saved by going to church on the Lord's Day. That is not your justification. It is obedience. It is a command of God. You ought to do it. And it's sin if you don't. And that can, you will, by not keeping the Lord's Day and and that fourth commandment, you will suffer and be disciplined by the Lord. But it is worthless Worthless in your justification. And so, but some of us, the, the appeal of the calendar of ceremonies, we, we really want that. We want that, we want that, I mean, unless you come from the Puritan strain and have read the Puritans, and you, you kind of have kicked that to the curb. But for others of us, it really appeals to us to have sort of a, a ritual calendar that we're working through. And that calendar of ceremonies or that ritual approach to God, we like it because it's external observance, but what does it lack? Internal faith. It's just externals. It's external observance. If I do such and such, again, right, plug and play, if I do such and such things, I make myself right with God, whatever the condition of my heart You should care more about your heart. Okay? And so all these things, the keeping of calendars, the the whole faith of the Roman church is an appeal to our pride and self-righteousness. That's what it is. It's just an appeal to pride. 
It's an appeal to self-righteousness. How disgusting to have those two words hyphenated, right? Self-righteousness. And then verse 11, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Do you feel the weight of those words when the Apostle Paul says that? I fear for you. I mean, he's just like... All of that work. All for vanity. All all just tripped up by... by these foolish Judaizers, by these wicked, wicked men who are teaching the doctrines of demons, tripped up. You know, that's, what, that's, that's how I feel when, when Christians start talking about the manosphere. I'm just like, oh man, all of that work tripped up by these, these men in bondage to their lusts and demons. Horrible. So be very careful, brothers and sisters. Be very circumspect. When you want a ritual, when you want a set of rules to keep, so as to, so as to justify yourself in the sight of God, you're in danger. Okay? We are only made right with God through faith in his son. But we would rather have slavery so that we do not have to suffer through our sanctification. We don't want to to walk through the wilderness. We don't want to have to follow and obey God as our father, right? Right? And, and so be very circumspect. Examine yourself on this front. See what things you think you do that give you a boast, that appeal to your sense of self-righteousness or self-justice. And you better kill them and make much more of Jesus Christ than you're making of your works. It's strange that we have to even say this because why, why do we want to pay so much when everything's been given to us for free? It just is so strange. But that is the influence of the devil and your flesh and the world. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear your word, that when your word is read and preached and taught and when we study it, that it will reveal to us our sins, the ways that we pursue self-righteousness. And Father, I pray that, that you would stir up in our minds a great, great joy in knowing Jesus Christ, your Son, in having forgiveness by faith in him, that we would revel in that. And Lord, that we would not lose our first love and turn back to slavery. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.